Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, and someone someone we've talked about the last few episodes that um, has been really good five on five was Pavel Zaka. They reunite the check line with Krejci back, so they got Zaka, Krejci, Pasternak together. I, Zaka had a few good plays in the first period. Like one in one in particular that stuck out to me was he one of the defensemen for the Kings had the puck right above the crease and he um, in front of his own net, and Zaka lifted his stick and got a quick shot off and like he was kind of playing a little bit of net front um on the power play and at different points and he kind of disappeared as the game went on but he was one of the people who had an okay start and then I felt like kind of disappeared a little yeah he's he's a clever player uh to, to what you mentioned earlier about the stick lift and this and that uh yeah, I, I again, I think it just speaks to there was no flow in this game at even strength. I just think that, you know, look at a guy like Nick Felino, for example. Like he's sitting, he, he's riding pine for a lot of the game, and then they throw him out there on the goal on the goal line for a power play here and there. And it's like, well, how is he supposed to be effective? He hasn't gotten his legs going tonight. Um, so I'm not now Zaka. He plays in all situations. He did they put him on a PK a little bit too, right, Zaka? Not really. Yeah. No. Oh, did they today? Yeah, he had 46 seconds, so that was probably just one, maybe two shifts. Yeah, yeah he's not like someone that really – that's his main role there. Gets more I mean, power I think, play time. I think, I think Krejci struggling, guys. I think – and Bridget, to your, to your point, like I think I think Krejci being off his game, being back in the lineup tonight, I think – I don't mean this – I'm not trying to be mean, but like I think he kind of brought his line down a little bit. So I think Zaka was part of that. Uh, Krejci yeah, wasn't when- really Krejci. When you think about Krejci's role, uh, you know, he's a setup guy. So you're right. Like when your setup guy is a little bit off, you're you're not distributing that line. The puck's not being distributed the same way. And that leads to fewer chances. Well, and Zaka's really been more of a distributor this season, too. And I know, you know, coming into the year, they wanted him to have a little bit more of a shoot first mentality. But like his shots per game have basically been in line with his career average, or at least his averages the last few years. So it's not, he really hasn't been shooting more. Um, You know, we mentioned, I mentioned in the last podcast that he's had some bad luck when he is shooting his shooting percentage is well below his career average, but what he's done best is setting guys up. And, you know, I thought he he had a couple of good setups again tonight. uh, One was to no sick. I think just coming off the bench changing on for Krejci. And then, um, and that actually later in the game, he had a, a, to the point of like just disjointed shifts. He ended up on a shift with 
Nosek and Greer, and like they had a good offensive zone cycle going. Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting dynamic because like obviously any line that Pasnak's on, you're trying to get him the puck for shooting opportunities. But I feel like Krejci and Zaka both both want to be distributors, both want to pass more. It's like one of them's got to shoot more. And, um, you know, I think that line has other issues. Like that's not the only reason that they're not quite clicking the way you would hope, but that dynamic does, I think could be one of them. And I wonder, um, you know, I wonder when Montgomery tries something different. Like if, if that doesn't change, if it's still, if that line is still just kind of trying to funnel everything to Pasternak, well, it become not that it's ever easy to cover Pasternak, but teams can can clearly key on him in the offensive zone. So, uh, you know, you're gonna need those other guys to to sh- who should have more space and more opportunities to shoot to take advantage of it. Yeah, Brian, if you do you have a point on that, or uh, okay, so. Two more things before we get going. Um, I only mentioned this because it was different than usual. Um, I don't know if it really affected the game all that much, but the D pairs were different for tonight's game. Uh, McAvoy Forbert was that top pair. Lindholm Clifton back together and Grizzlick Carlo. Um, I only mentioned that really just because that, that Forbert McAvoy pair isn't something they've been going to a lot. Um, and just wanted to bring it up yeah definitely interesting when everybody's in the lineup that 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 was kind of the uh the McAvoy pairing uh was did they did they mix and match throughout the game I thought I saw I thought I saw Carlo and Forbert together at one point but maybe that was a penalty well, that's, kill situation that's a, pe- a common penalty kill thing that they do Okay, I wasn't sure if that was at five on five. I was looking at that, but there uh, wasn't a lot of five they on were, five. <laughs> so that they they had two minutes together at five on five, but for the most part, he, Montgomery tended to stick to the pairs that that Bridget just mentioned. Yeah, I don't think it affected the game all that much. I just wanted to mention it just purely because Forbert McAvoy hasn't been a common thing. And my last, oh, did you have something? Yeah, Scott? no, yeah. So I. Th- and I think it was just, it was an opportunity to, you know, when we talk about wanting everyone to be comfortable with everyone, like forward McAvoy was one that really hadn't been used yet. So you get an opportunity, you know, they're together in morning skate. Um, you know, I think the possibility that Lindholm might miss this game sort of opened up and obviously the easy one to go to would have been Grizzly McAvoy because they've played a ton together over the years. But maybe there's something about this matchup where Montgomery wanted, you know, the more defensive, bigger body next to McAvoy um, and sort of got that in his head. And then even though Lindholm played, decided to stick with it and see how it looked for a game. And, you know, that that they're fine. I mean, they were on the ice for that first Kings goal against. But as, as I said, like that was honestly probably more in McAvoy than anything because he just isn't able to get a stick to either the puck or to Kempe in front of the net. Um, you know, I think Forbert actually played that. Okay. He probably could, he, cause he had the guy who kind of came over the blue line, 
and maybe could have been a little closer in terms of gap control, but like he didn't give him a ton of space. So, you know, I didn't think he wasn't like at fault there. It's not like they gave up that goal because former McAvoy doesn't work. Like, you know, I thought, again, no one's really great tonight, but I thought that pairing was fine. It, you know, it was, it wasn't a disaster. Like there's at least enough of a reason there to be like, okay, maybe you could try that again in the future. We know it didn't really work well last year, but now Forbert's had, you know, a full season plus here. He's in a different place than he was early last season. I think we all know he's playing much better than, than he was then. So um, yeah, you, you could see it again. It's also different though, too, when you have like last year when it was McAvoy and Forbert, it was like, well, that's your top pair. But now you have Hampus Lindholm on your decor as well. So it's not as like, it's just, it's just a different perception. Like I'm, I'm, I have no issue with forward playing with McAvoy here and there. Cause you have Hampus Lindholm on a different pair. So it's, it's just a bit of a different, uh, different look now. They're deeper. So it's, it's, it's okay now. Uh, one last thing we haven't touched on at all was goaltending. Um, so all Mark back in net tonight. Uh, what did you guys think of him? I thought it was really good most of the game, you know, especially two periods. Um, I didn't, I mean, the the five on three, like, whatever, it's a, it's a five on three. Maybe it could have been quicker getting across, but that's, you know, it's a scene pass. That's going to be a tough save all the time. Uh, the first goal, again, like, yeah, you could nitpick and say maybe should have had better rebound control, but also, as I've already said, like McAvoy was there, so it's not, you know, he didn't. I don't know. If it, it feels like nitpicking to try to put either goal on him, I thought he was mm-hmm. really solid for the most part. We're on the other side of the ice. Phoenix Copley uh, got beat clean twice on both of those shots. Um, I didn't think he was particularly good. Um, and Jack Edwards had a field day with uh, his name. And and when he fell down behind the net, <laughs> he uh, he went to go play a puck behind the net. And, and Jack said, wait, let me find it. I wrote it down. Uh, he said, he said, Copley in Kenmore Square, he's falling down out of the bars. <laughs> So he was trying to make a reference to the T and him being drunk on his way to get on the train. <laughs> so that was that. And he hated the fact that his name, his name Phoenix is spelt not the right way. And he referenced that like three times. Gave me flashbacks to my time at BU. <laughs> I mean, Jack's going to Jack, but like, he's also just getting calls wrong. Like the, the shootout, I, I'm trying to remember who it was for, for the Kings. Um, Whoever it was, though, they came. They came down, just like clear as they just like shot it in, and like Jack set, Jack thought Allmark saved it and called it like that until even as the guys going through the, the the bench fist pounding his 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 teammates, he's like still saying it was a save by Allmark. Like, what are you talking? About? I think it was the Kempe goal, and I'm pretty sure it he called it that way because the crowd cheered. They reacted yeah. so wrong, and you don't usually see that. The crowd literally was cheering and then they were like oh i think the the crowd like missed both of the first two king's goals in the shoot the first one was 
like there was some cheering and then I think people quickly realized it was in. Uh yeah, that was Velarde. And then to your point on Kempe, yeah, I think for like five good five seconds, like thousands of people in the garden thought that was a save. And it was like <laughs> That's true. Uh, nope. Um it was very what, confusing for everyone. One thing I wanted to mention to you guys before we got out of here was um I think next time the Kings come to TD Garden, the Bruins better put an asterisk next to them on a schedule because they are a team that every time they come to the Garden, they play a full 60-plus. And this is not the first time that the Kings have come to Boston and done this. So a couple of years ago, there was like a second left on the clock, and and uh, Tyler Toffoli won the game against the Bruins off a, a face-off shot, like literally like a second left, not even a second left. The Kings won that game in the last second of the game. But more, more ironic though. Remember, remember uh last last podcast, I was previewing the game coming up, and I was like, the Bruins and the Kings had a really good game last year at the Garden, and I think the Kings won in overtime, whatever. So last year, the Kings actually technically it was earlier this this calendar year, but last season, the Kings tied the game two to two. Uh, Trevor Moore tied the game with like 40 seconds left. I was just looking at it on the box score. They tied the game 2-2. Wait, you're, you're telling me last year's Bruins gave up a goal in the final minute of the period? <laughs> that was like the topic that... of like 10 articles in a row. <laughs> yeah, well, regardless, um, it's I, I, I guess it makes the point even louder than that this year's Bruins did it again. But um, the Kings tied the game 2-2, final minute, winning overtime 3-2 tonight. The Kings tied the game 2-2, like a minute and a half left, whatever it was, and went in overtime 3-2. Well, shootout, but so eerily similar uh, games between these two teams at the Garden in the last couple of years. And every time they play the Kings in Boston, except for that one time when they came back with Lucic and they were wearing like their gold jerseys, the Kings were wearing like their yellow and purple jerseys. I think they should. I think they beat the Bruins like nine to one or something that game, but that was like the that was like the 2016 weird Bruins that they were kind of like not good, not bad. But I thought that was interesting, though. That it was kind of tonight played out very similar to last season's game here. So don't sleep on the Kings next time they come to Boston. Is my point for the Bruins? But yeah, anyway. one last straight thought I had. I was reminded of it when you mentioned when you brought Elmark up. So that's three straight starts for him. Swayman hasn't started since that rough game Friday night. And I'm assuming Swayman's going to start Saturday, you know, turnaround from Thursday night to a Saturday 1 p.m. game. I'm assuming that's going to be Swayman. But, you know, this is kind of what I touched on the last pod, which is like, all right, you know, yes, Allmark isn't going to get exhausted yet, but you don't want to get in the habit of him starting three straight games all the time. Like, so I think Saturday is going to be an important start for Swayman. You're facing a weak opponent in Columbus should be a win, should be a fairly easy time, you know, a good game for Swayman to get on track. Um, but if he doesn't, like if he gives up a soft goal or two, then what, then do you, you sit him down for another week? Like, is he on the shelf until Christmas? Um, you know, it just kind of, it can just become an uncomfortable situation. Obviously, you you hope you avoid that. You hope he plays well. He might only face 16 shots, um, but he only faced 16 last Friday against Arizona. So uh, hopefully for the Bruins, uh, 
Saturday is a good opportunity for Swayman to bounce back because I think they they need him to have some confidence, and I think you know they need Jim Montgomery and goalie Bob to uh, to have some confidence in him so that they don't have to ride Elmark uh, as much as they have at times this season. To add some perspective to that matchup as well against Columbus, Columbus is in last in the Metro right now. Um, so just going in to that game, it's not like, you know, a lot of the times they're playing Allmark in those better games, those, um, those matchups against teams that, you know, you think about like Colorado, Tampa Bay, and Swayman's been in there for Arizona and probably Columbus coming up Saturday. So we're talking about two different levels of teams. Um, so we'll see how he plays. And I think I mentioned this before, but Sometimes when you play a lesser opponent, you play down to them. Uh, and when you don't feel like it's when, when you don't feel like you're in a situation where you're like backs against the wall, maybe a little bit complacent. Um, not sure if that factors in it all to the way that Swimmins played against some of those lesser opponents this year. Well, Bridget, you made a comment last episode that Swimmins seems to always rise to the occasion mm -hmm. so if that's if that's the case maybe they should just give him the start at fenway no pressure there right <laughs> he'll pitch a shutout he'll be rocking and rolling for the second of the season i'm sure he's a big Sox fan so yeah but yeah, scott no, I mean, and i got our credentials so we'll be there there you go um yeah i mean i, th I think saturday is a cupcake game for him to go in and, and get some confidence back i mean the blue jackets suck um so yeah, and, and the Bruins should be pretty pissed off about their their effort the last two games at home. I know they beat the Islanders, and I know they were a shootout goal away and a save from winning again tonight. But to a man, they know that they, they haven't been great the last couple of games. And look, I mean, you, you want to look at the last six six or seven games, the Bruins are, you know, they're kind of win one, lose one, right? I mean, they, they did one two in a row before tonight, but you lost to Vegas, you beat Colorado, you lost to the uh, – Coyotes, you beat Vegas. You beat the Islanders. You, you know, you lose to uh, um, who they play tonight? The Kings. Kings. So, <laughs> so it's all right. That's late. a sign that we've that we're running too long. It's time to wrap. So. But you get my it. you get my point though. So they got they got to get they got to right the ship. They got to get back into what their groove again. So start with it on Saturday against the Blue Jackets. Clearly, I'm good, guys. You all set? Yes. All right. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you soon.